You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends, great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman complete in all their powers is in the fight, in the spiritual fight, and right now, today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, friends, so very, very, very good to have you with us today. Going to talk about a very interesting, very provocative, and uh, boy, can I say in the news kind of a topic today, and I've invited a dear friend in with us to be with us. So I, I just want you to know, I, uh, I'm excited about this program because I'm excited about our sponsors. One of our sponsors of our program today is Wesley Biblical Seminary. Folks, I've taught here for 35 years. Now, I know I've been saying I've been here for 33 years, but I counted the other day. I don't know why I did. I decided, let me count. And it's 30, in August, it's 35. You missed so, two years. I, well, there you go. Uh, but I've regained them now, and so I'm headed to the 35th uh, anniversary. And listen, one of the best seminaries in the world, no question about it, a place where you can come, you can come, whoever you are, and check out the various wonderful things we can offer you. Now, most seminaries are for people who have their degrees from college and are now ready for their master's degree, but we've got a lay program called the Wesley Institute. We've got an undergraduate program. Yep, we've just started a college now. You need to uh, figure that one out if you need a college education, because I'm about ready to tell you, it comes at a really great price. But we want you to check all this out at wbs.edu. We've got a master's program. And, of course, we got a great doctoral program, too. Actually, I think the doctoral program is unquestionably world-class. Really something for all serious disciples. So check it out at WBS. That's for Wesley Biblical Seminary, wbs.edu. E-D-U. All right, my friend today that's with us is the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. And actually, I kind of like to say this. Uh, I, I, I hope you don't think it's a denigrating to say it. I'm a former student of mine. Oh, not denigrating at all. I'm proud of that. Yeah, I'm proud reality. of it. Uh, and we're, we're proud of your 13 years in Haiti. He's at, uh, someday soon, we're going to have to do a, a couple sessions on spiritual warfare because he has spent a good bit of time down there with witch doctors and uh, warlocks or whatever else you you want to call these people in Haiti. Yeah. A lot of great Christians in Haiti, a lot of a lot of Jesus loving missionaries down in Haiti, but there's a lot of wickedness and evil down in Haiti. You've been there for 13 years. Yeah, yeah, it was an incredible uh time of discipleship. I mean, as you've taught me in the past and I hear you say almost every day here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, works of mercy. When you respond to God's call to ministry, it purifies you. And uh, I became a much deeper, uh, much more sanctified person by serving uh, in Haiti. And it is all at once a really hard place to serve and a really beautiful place to serve. Mm. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Matt Ayers is with us, and I invited him on today because I thought maybe he could share not only some contemporary thoughts on this topic, for today, but also some biblical things. He happens to be an Old Testament scholar and a particularly adept at the, the Psalms. So, Matt, let me tell you what we got. Uh, our president, uh, Joe Biden, has declared support for trans surgeries, puberty blockers for kids, and for adolescents. Let me read this. This is the most 
I don't know if I've ever anything more dismaying mm. than these words. President Joe Biden declared his support for allowing children and adolescents with gender dysphoria to undergo body mutilating surgeries mm. or use puberty blockers and cross sex hormones to look more like the opposite sex, despite unknowns about long-term side effects. And others, mm. we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to do it anyway because right. it's politically correct to do it. Right. In multiple documents released Thursday, uh, which is by way, uh, this week in uh, in our history, was uh, Thursday was known as Transgender Day of Visibility. The Biden administration decided to come out and back what he called gender-affirming health care. So the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of Population Affairs released a document titled Gender Affirming Care and Young People. The document states that early gender affirming care for non-binary or trans-identified minors is crucial to overall health and well-being as it allows Mm. the child or adolescent to focus on social transitions and can increase their confidence while navigating the healthcare system. Mm. The document lists top surgeries, elective mastectomies, now these are for kids, Mm. breast enhancements, Bottom surgeries, I don't know if we're doing with buttocks there or what. Rear end? Yeah, I guess. I guess. Removal of genitals hmm. uh, and gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care is a, a supportive form of health care, states the OPA. It consists of an array of services that may include medical, surgical, mental health, and non-medical services for transgender and non-binary people. Medical and psychosocial gender-affirming health care practices have been demonstrated, says our government, your paid-for government, to yield lower rates of adverse mental health outcomes, build self-esteem, and improve overall quality of life for transgender and gender-diverse youth. Hmm. If you would have predicted this 10 years ago, everybody would have called you crazy. Yeah, how fast we got to this place. However, uh, we got... we as, as as Christian professors, as think tank leaders, as people who know we're headed the wrong direction on this, we got to talk about it. I'm interested in an E. Stanley Jones quote of years ago. He says, men thought that if they could only get rid of puritanical taboos and of moral codes written in scripture, they could be free to do as they liked with sex. Hmm. But they now find that the moral law is written in sex itself. Hmm keep that moral law, there is heaven. Break it, and there is hell Mm. here and now. That being said, Mm. uh, Matt, we're either living in hell or we're approaching hell fast on this issue. Let me ask you this. How do you suppose we got here that fast? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's happened in my lifetime for sure. And I'll say, the first thing I would say is I really recommend the book that's sitting in front of me um, because it it precisely answers that question um, of how we got here, Uh, not just in terms of the pace at which we arrived here, how fast, but how we got to the place where someone could say, you know, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or being unable or unwilling to define what a woman is for, or what a man is biologically, as we saw with the recent, you know, uh, interview with the uh, Supreme Court justice. Um, and that book uh, that answers that question historically and philosophically is Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Hmm. Um, great book, but essentially um, he lays out a number of different things. But the, the thing that stood out to me most that was really, really helpful in answering that question, how did we get here, um, are two primary ideas um, that are wrong. 
Uh, first is Darwinism, and the second is Freudian thought. Mm. Um, um, of course, Sigmund Freud. So let's start with Freud. Um, we all know about psychoanalysis and Freud and the rise of contemporary uh, psychoanalysis and psychology uh, as a part of the field of psychology. But it is the, uh, as far as I understand, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, it, it still is a dominant uh, framework for thinking, uh, practicing psychologists and professionals. And this idea is that um, our sexuality is at the center of who we are, that everything rises and falls on sex in terms of our, our identity. Um, and so everything is driven by um, that, that, that impulse, the desire, sexual desire, sexual drive, and, uh, and that's just not true. And so the idea that our, the number one factor determining who we are in terms of our, our persons and in per terms of ourselves is our sexual drive and desire is not true. That's a falsehood. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other things. There is particularly one thing that determines who we are, um, and that is relationship with others, namely the relationship with the Creator. That's the primary thing that determines our identity, not our sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one uh, major strand of thought in contemporary you know, Western world that has got us here, is people have bought in wholesale to this idea that our sexuality is the number one defining thing about who we are. Mm. That, that's just not true. It is, it is a defining factor, but it's not the number one defining factor, and sex isn't what makes the world go round, which is what Freud would say. Mm. And then as far as Darwinism is concerned, it's this idea. Uh, well, there's several different ideas here. You know, I don't at all. Uh, I, I accept the idea of natural selection. I accept the idea of adaptation. Um, I'm, you know, I know that there are different views out there about theistic evolution, um, and and I'm very ominous about uh, the idea of, of evolution. I don't think the science actually proves that evolution is a thing. Uh, if there is an evolution, it doesn't go from species to species, and it doesn't go in a positive direction. It regresses. It goes in the opposite direction. But nonetheless, so when I say Darwinism, there's all these different aspects and features of Darwinism. The one in particular that I want to get at that I think has been crucial is this idea that if it feels natural, it's right. Naturalism. You know, if, it, if I feel it, if it's an emotion or a sense or an impulse, that is, if I have the impulse to, uh, for same-sex attraction, then it's natural because it's an impulse. And if it's natural, it must be right. Or That's correct. a scary thought, it's isn't a, it? It's a, if, uh, I, if I have an inclination right now, it was given to me by God, therefore I ought to act on it? Right. Like, like, Are you kidding me? Like hunger. You know, you're hungry, and that's a good thing. Your body telling you that you're hungry is nature saying you need to eat. It's, so your body telling you you want to have sex with everything with legs, uh, we must assume that that is just a natural impulse, and therefore it must be right. But what, the, what if there's a mother that says, I think I need to be having sex with my six-year-old child? Right. And, or, yeah, right. and by the way, I think there's a whole chapter in Leviticus that talks about these things. Right, right. And I think they're talked about. All these words, they don't have sex with your brother, don't have yeah. sex with your mother, don't have and sex. And Paul picks them up in the New Testament. And don't have sex and so with does an, Jesus. Yeah. Don't have sex with an animal. Right. I mean, Bestiality, all right. these things are listed because apparently. We can't trust our impulses. There's a proclivity <laughs> to weirdness in right. us. Right. Well, and so I think one of the key things that is really helpful for me in understanding these dynamics, the perversion of it, is that normally, even as Christians, like evangelical Christians, we tend to think of sin as things that we do or don't do. So if we lie, that's a sin, or if we don't tithe, that's a sin. So sins of commotion, sins of omission. We think about lowercase s sins, plural, sins that we commit. But sin is also a capital S singular. And some theologians have talked about the sin nature. I, I don't particularly like that way of thinking about it, because that, uh, that gives the idea 
that there's like a different uh, foreign nature that's been added to our nature. And that's not true. I like to think of it as a diseased nature, not, not a sin nature, but a diseased nature. God created us in his image. Uh, to be a certain way, to have certain characteristics. And that image has been diseased. It's been marred. And what that means is if we have a diseased nature inside of us, then we can't trust our nature. That is the natural impulses that arise from within. Jeremiah says, don't trust your heart. It will mislead you. And this is something that we hear in contemporary media day and night. You know, I can't help but think of Disney. And I, I love Disney movies. I great, uh, They're great, but so, much, so often the message is follow your heart. Mm. Don't follow your heart. Yeah. You have a diseased <laughs> heart. Your heart is perverse and crooked, and it will lead you to perdition, and it will destroy you. And I have been, I, by the way, I've, I've been invited from time to time to give a, a graduation uh, commencement uh, speeches, and, and that's always a theme. You know, everybody's telling heart. you, follow yeah. your heart. Aim for the stars, uh, yeah. Aim for the stars. Uh, fulfill your dreams. No. No. Don't do, ask what God's dreams are for you. Because our nature is bent. Yes. It's crooked. It's perverse. Well, listen, it'd I, be interesting to know if we... It'd just be a great book. Whose fault is this? But I'm going to tell you. <laughs> whose fault? No, yeah. whose fault? How do we get to this place? And maybe it's the, the weirdness of culture. Maybe it's our sin nature. I, I like all those answers, obviously. But... And we got a weird culture out there, and we got a media elite that wants to lead us any weird right, way. Right. But I think it's the church's fault. Interesting. And I think it, it is because we we talked a few years ago about the homosexual revolution. Now we're talking about all kinds of revolution. Right. Just just sexual revolution. Just Beyond sexual, homo, it's... trans revolution, right. and everything. But when we were talking homosexual revolution, it it dawned on me back then. That my goodness, before we had a homosexual revolution, we had a heterosexual revolution. Right. Open marriages. Open mar- well orgies. Yeah, but even even worse than that, I think the church it's it's more innocent and worse all at the same time. The church became a blessing machine for marriages. If you want to get married, we'll marry you. Right. Right. Well, where is that in Christian? If you want to get married, we'll marry you without preparation right. without asking, is this person a Christian? Is this person right. a Christian? It's holy matrimony. So people ought to be committed Christians. They ought to be committed to a local church together. They ought to be getting training for marriage. And what we've decided to do is we're just going to bless anything that comes on. So I consider that a heterosexual right. revolution. All of a sudden, we don't care about preparation. We don't care about the seriousness of marriage. Here comes the pill. Yeah. Now we can take a pill and have sex without consequence, and the church was silent. Right. Uh, so we were silent on the pill. We were silent on the uh, abortifacients. We were we were silent at the point of do we prepare for marriage? And we decided no. And we, we still do that, by the way. We still do. We get much more excited about the wedding itself than we do about the marriage. The marriage, right? Uh, and I just think uh, porn came along, and guess what? We find out that uh, over ma- a majority of pastors have a porn problem. Right. And then, of course, the leadership today, and you can just read it. Uh, open up the news and say, look what happened. We've got pastors almost by the week, a new megachurch pastor that is committing sin, scandal, raping, yeah. doing scandal. So I, I think the blame belongs largely to the church. We haven't led appropriately. We haven't rebuked appropriately. We haven't celebrated appropriately. And when that happens, guess what? The rest of the culture tends to follow right. and will go further than you ever wanted to go. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, all right, 
is it possible for the church to get its act together at this? Uh, again, Stanley Jones is the guy that was thinking some really in- incredible thoughts long before uh, this age. And, you know, decades, decades, decades ago, he said this. They tell us that the word Bedlam used to be the word Bethlehem. So the place of the birth of Christ has been changed to the name of a place of confusion. Is this not what has happened sexually in our day? Bethlehem, symbol of the birth of a child, the epitome of sex in its most beautiful and tender phrase, now degenerates into a veritable bedlam of sex frustration and defeat. Why? No age ever emphasized sex more, says Stanley Jones, than this age has, or enjoyed sex less. Hmm. Restraints are gone. Puritanism has been banished. But now that the age is free to do as it likes, it finds out it doesn't like what it does. Yeah, do what you like, hate what you do. And then, of course, Dobson cited anthropologist J.D. Unwin, who says, look at 88 civilizations like I've done throughout world history. Every culture follows a similar life cycle. You have a strict code of sexual conduct when you're starting out, but it ends with a demand for freedom the throwing off of traditional constraints in order to express individual passion. And Unwin suggests that every, underline the word every with red ink, every society which allowed such sexual permissiveness soon perished. Hmm. Let me ask you, is this a new thing in human history? Or can we look at the Bible and say, no, there were some really dark times then too? Oh, yeah, it's there from the beginning. And I would say the seed of the problem is there ever since the garden in, the te- in, in two terms. One is that ultimately what's at the heart of our capital S-I-N disease is rebellion. You know, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. And we get a certain perverted satisfaction out of that. And like you said, uh, tracing history, there's always a bucking of the rules. Mm. And we're by nature, by our diseased nature, let's say, rebels. We will rebel. Um, the unsanctified heart will rebel. It's a rebellious heart posture. But also the, the serpent in the garden said, that fruit looks good, doesn't it? And she says, yes, it does. She looked and she saw that it was good. Mm-hmm. Well, God just said it wasn't good a minute ago. So there you have moral autonomy. God says A is good. You're saying A is bad. God says B is bad. You're saying B is good. And so you're deciding. So the rebellion piece and then following after the lust of the eyes. And that's not just in a sexual sense. It's, it's one way it can be interpreted but going after what we perceive on our own independently from God's moral categories, uh, what we think will satisfy. And one, one thing that intrigues, so, so yes, it's been a, around forever, I mean, this, this cycle. Even the Greco-Roman oh. culture, which, you know, the churches, early churches sit down in the middle of, yeah. oh my goodness, what weirdness. Well, so I'd go, so I went to the garden. The next place I would go, the first time that we see sexual perversion, I think, if my memory serves me right, in... Uh, in the Bible is Genesis 6. Hmm. Now, there are different ways of, inter- of interpreting that passage, uh, but nonetheless, uh, no matter how you interpret it, where it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men and took them for wives and had children, now, it's, it's about sex there. They lusted after them and went after them. Whether those sons of God are angels, or those sons of God are the set line of Seth, or those sons of God are you know some royal um, you know family or, or, or um, elitist within a culture who went after the peasant women, uh, we don't know. My interpretation is uh, that it's angels, uh, which I know sounds weird, but that is also the in, it's been the historic Judeo interpretation as well, Judeo-Christian interpretation. That's why the Septuagint translates um, the, that word angelos in, in Greek. It's angels. But nonetheless, uh, sexual perversion going back that far. And 
uh, of course, what was God's response to that, as well as to um, the crookedness of, you know, every heart, every thought of every man uh, was constantly evil always, was the flood. Mm. So wiping out the civilization. Um, and so it goes back far. And then, of course, the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. And some have argued, though, that the reason that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah had nothing to do with sexual sin. It had to do with the, la- uh, the ministry of hospitality. They failed to be hospitable. And that is just uh, a, a not faithful treatment of the text. The text is immensely clear what's going on there. So nonetheless, uh, yes, it's been around for a long time. Um, and, and yes, I think that your observation that every time it goes in that direction, that civilization ceases to exist, I think is a is a really important observation. Um, the other thing I think that's important to point out is that, you know, we don't have any, we don't make any quibbles about the, the laws of physics. You know, if you go jumping off a building that's, you know, 100 stories high, you're going to die. You're not going to fly, you know, assuming that you don't have any kind of, you know, the laws of physics are the laws of physics. Um, they are what they are. That's why we buckle up when we get into the car. Um, and there are all sorts of other laws. Gravity is not the only one. Um, and so we don't make, we don't argue or debate with the laws of physics. So why would we argue and debate with moral laws of the universe? And so this idea when people get, let's say people get angry with the idea that God puts moral laws in the place and says, you can't do this. Don't do this. To think that we can do it and there won't be consequences. We don't jump off of buildings thinking that we won't die. We don't argue with those laws. Why do we take up issue with the laws of, of morality? Mm. Now, there is a historical answer to that with the idea. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a long, a long answer. But nonetheless, I think it's a good observation to make. There are moral laws of the universe. And when we violate them, chaos ensues. I was in, uh, you love the Psalms, and I was in with a discipleship group early this morning, a 5Q discipleship group. We were discussing Psalm 115, which we suspect Jesus was singing with his disciples at the last meal mm-hmm. they shared before mm-hmm. they went to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, one of the great things in there is the declaration that we're going to trust in the Lord because he is our help and our shield. Mm-hmm. I've got the funny feeling, Christian parents especially, but anybody that has a flock. Now, I think everybody has a flock. Yeah. Uh, some group of people that Jesus wants you to take very seriously. Even if that flock is just you right now, yourself. Take well, yeah. care of yourself. Yeah, but you got neighbors, right? you got friends, yeah, you got yeah, right. relatives. Everyone so lives in this Everybody's community. got somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're really supposed to be their help and their shield on all things, yeah. including the sexual weirdness of our day. Yeah. But I think especially for your family and for your church, we... I'm just thinking, this is a discipleship program, life-changing discipleship. So share with us here, what are some possibilities for discipleship moving forward for a church that I don't think is taking these issues very seriously, but we've got to start just to be a help and a shield to our flock? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. And your comment before about, is it the church's fault? A kind of a rhetorical question implying, yeah, it probably is, at least in part, because the church is supposed to be salt, right, and light, preserving uh, our culture that otherwise is just falling apart at the seams, and we failed to do that. And I think that if we can identify where we failed and why, that can help answer that question of how do we fix this. Yeah, I, l- I like someone said is when something's dark, you don't blame the dark. Right. That's, you blame the fact that's what no dark light. is. Dark is dark right. until light shows up, Right. and that that's what we're called to be. Well, then discuss these possibilities with me. I think the first thing is we've got to talk with our kids and we've got to talk with our church about purity right. again. Yeah. And, uh, and and purity basically was what set the Christian, uh, the early church from other people. 
one of the things that was said in the letter to Diognetus and Aristides, these are early documents of the, of the church, uh, one of the things that was articulated over and over again is, wow, look, their women are virgins. Hmm. There is a sexual purity right. amongst this group of people. Right. How do we regain that purity? I think it starts in the home for sure. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm a full believer in the freedom and <laughs> the freedom and doctrine of uh, bringing up our children and discipleship is inside of the home first. It is the small temple, and uh, and you know what? People think this is hard, uh, but the reality is it's not as hard as you think. You know, we're doing it at home, and I will say that my wife does most of this. Now a lot of that, the sexual purity stuff, but that's because we have three daughters, almost four daughters and one son, and our son's only three so far. So mm-hmm. these kinds of questions. But our 13-year-old, you know, these questions are in play. And our 11-year-old, these questions are in play. And God helps us have these conversations. You know, we usually think when Jesus says, look, don't worry about the words that you'll say. I'll give you the, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words. We usually think in like an apologetic context of debating with an atheist or something. Uh, but that's also true in these really important life-shaping conversations we have with one another, that God can actually speak through us to our children. And there are loads of great resources out there. And, uh, and look, you go, well, it's just awkward and uncomfortable and especially awkward for them. And, and, and I don't know if, listen, Jesus was uncomfortable on the cross. The least we can do (laughs) to preserve our families, our faith and our culture is to have these conversations with our kids because they're going to have them, whether with you or someone else. And if you wait too long, they've already had them before you ever uh, get them. That's why I think we've got to talk about it earlier now than we've ever talked about it before. I I would say 10, 10 years old, but you know, the, you know, so in the house, Here's the thing, though. You can't assume that everyone in your church is going to be doing this. So what, what can pastors, what program systems, people, whatever you want to call it, relationships that they can create inside of the church body that can make up for deficiencies that may be happening in the home? And one of the things you say is it's the great option. The purity oh, it's better. is yeah. the abundant life option. It's not, oh, we got to Here's do the, this because it's... The irony of it is that the lie is that it's, it's this is Psalm 2, it's bondage and slavery. Purity is. Actually, purity is freedom. Hmm. Purity is the freedom. That is the freeway. And we know by by research that the less purity you take into a marriage, like you've been free flow with sexuality before that, you take that into a marriage and you're more at risk. It doesn't mean Jesus can't redeem, but it does mean you are much, much, much more at risk for bad things happening after marriage, including and up to divorce and adultery. So, well, I think purity is one thing. I think dating is another interesting thing. That's a, yeah. Uh, The world's telling us how to do that. They tell us with their proms. They tell us with their school dances. They tell us. So what is going to be your plan? I think you need a plan and a Christian plan for dating. Uh, I think we need to prepare for marriage a lot better than we've ever prepared. And we need to prepare families for the ensuing chaos that is not only here, but it's just going to get worse. Right, right. Yeah, historically, there's this, you know, the whole thing of the the scandal of the evangelical mind that was the result of the Enlightenment project and the assumption within culture that because the church believes in the boogeyman, you know, Santa Claus and God and the Trinity and virgin births and resurrections, they can't be taken intellectually seriously. And therefore, our scientists, soft scientists and humanities professors who have studied theology, they must know better. They must be more wise because they don't believe in Santa Claus. And that's just silly and foolish. And uh, thankfully, we're coming out of that era in which metaphysics is taboo. Even in, the, you know, philosophy departments and universities, uh, metaphysics is coming back onto the spectrum. And the issue is, you know, imp- being able to empirically verify metaphysics. You can't measure this stuff. And so um, 
because the church has been living in the shadow of the, the lie and the declaration that it's it's backwards and uh, intellectually bankrupt, we have we've almost self-fulfilled that prophecy and acted like, well, I guess we don't know about human sexuality, and, and the church has been painted in the light of being restrictive and abusive of women in particular, and, and closed-minded about things, slow to change, and this is the way that media presents the church. Um, we've got to grow a backbone and believe in uh, the tradition, the greater streams and the currents of the traditions that we've been handed through church history. We have the truth, and mm. the truth sets free. Amen. And in fact, the only... Um, intellectually uh, satisfying approach to a worldview is the Christian worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview. And that's been the case ever since the ancient Near East. Mm. We're the ones that have been around the longest. Why are we taking the back seat to humanities departments and universities and science departments? Not saying that they don't have something to contribute, but God forbid we take the back seat. God's revealed the truth to the church and mm. through the church. And so go. we've got to rediscover that and live into our identity as, as, as Christians, as the ones to whom God has entrusted the truth for the world as the light and the salt. One of the things we've done uh, is written a book called Discipleship in the Home. And in that book, the premier methodology that's promoted is get an age 18 list. Right, yeah. What do you want your kids to be like at age 18? Right. And on this topic, we said we want them to be virgins when they enter into marriage. We want them to know how to select a lifelong spouse. Mm -hmm. We want them to understand purity. Those are the kinds of... Now, if that's what we want them to be at age 18, mm -hmm. there's probably something all the way down to age three, four, and five that we need to be doing in their lives in order to ensure that. And certainly at age eight, nine, and 10, and certainly at age 15, 16, and 17. Well, yeah. So that becomes, if this is what I really want for my kid, I just can't hope that it happens. Right. I've got to intentionalize a program to make it happen right. with the grace of God, obviously. And it's that important. Y'all, it's getting weird out there. It's getting real weird. We don't have to dismay that King of Kings is on our side. He mm. is our help. He is our shield. But you're going to have to hunker down there and realize God's got a great plan for your family. It's not going to see the light of day if you just say, I hope it happens. Yeah. The Sorry. The, the, the only other thing I'd contribute to that is, yes, we can do things within our, our homes and change our strategies and be more intentional and all this, be better parents. And But this is also demonic. Mm. You know, the, the, the sexual revolution is extremely demonic. And another thing that we can be doing as a church is fasting and praying. Yes. Uh, for the powers of darkness to, to be thwarted in their efforts to continue to, um, to continue to mutilate the genitals of children. And th th oh. This is the the gates of hell are prevailing, you know, at the moment, uh, and it always does because he's the god of this world. Everything outside the church, the gates of hell win. But we can pray it out, and and that's something that we need to take seriously as a church is not just sit around and worry, but to, to actually pray and fast. This is beautiful, and I would say pray and fast from what fast fast. Oh, that's the dismissal of food from your life. Good idea. It's a Jesus idea. It's an early church idea. But there's some other things you probably ought to think about fasting from. Where does the demonic come into our lives? Through your TV. Yeah, I'm <laughs> thinking phones. there's a TV, there's yeah. an iPhone. Are you sure you want your kid to have a steady diet of TV? Get rid of Netflix. Are you sure you want your kid to have a steady diet of iPhone yeah. apart from your supervision? An iPhone is iPhone. It's without your supervision. Right. So those are the kinds of things you've got to be a help and a shield for your child. Mm -hmm. And just think, where does the demonic come into our lives? Various things, no question. But the premier ways, I think, in our culture is screen. Yeah. It's you're staring at the screen. That's where bad things. And so just protect 
your life, protect your family's life, set some, because listen, you say, well, are you kidding me? Not an iPhone? Uh, not just uh, unadulterated access to computer? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, and there you go. <laughs> and I'm if just your gonna eye say, calls you to sin, take it out. Or I mean, at least budget the time yeah. that your kids are on there. Cause but here's the thing about these. You go, when people respond, are you kidding me? If you do without my iPhone, you know, there's freedom that comes. Now, I, I have an iPhone, and I use it for work. So call me a hypocrite, whatever. But I will say that there is freedom that comes with cutting these. We don't have Netflix at our house. You know how much freedom there is from that, from not having Netflix? And every family has to decide on their own. Well, and we don't, we don't have TV at our home. And the kids didn't watch TV at our home. And, and, and so you had that. Then you had, and they didn't have iPhones. Yeah. No one had their own phone until they went to college. They can start making and needing to make decisions. They didn't have their own computer right. at home. So I'm just saying, I, I agree with you. I think fasting is a great idea, but it's not just food. Right. And you say, isn't that kind of weird? I mean, that they wouldn't have those things. Let me tell you what's weird. The president declares support for trans surgeries, puberty blockers, and right. castration for kids. What's at stake here? That is supported and funded by your you, yeah. tax money. That's, That's weird. weird. Right. And so, yeah, we're willing to be called weird if necessary yep. for the glory of God. That's it. All right, friends, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman and today's guest, Matt Ayers. Thanks, Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. All right, check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship, and check out our books at Amazon.com. Just type in Matt Friedman into the search engine, and there you go. Always, always tell others about our podcast, and remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God. Live clean, keep the faith, make disciples. God bless, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.